Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So, how's the weather? Weather's good. Yeah, actually, the weather has been incredible here in Georgia. Did y'all watch the Masters? No, I didn't. Who won? Um, Matsuyama, Hideki Matsuyama, huh. is a, the first Japanese Masters champion um, in history. But wow. Cool. Yeah, the whole weekend, um, it's interesting to listen to golf analysts uh, because they love golf, but they love golf courses. They they talk about them like they're people. And so most of the weekend was just like the cameras showing these shots of the masters <laughs> with this like blossoming azaleas and bright pinks and purples all over the place and just super stunningly beautiful. Of course, you come back in a month down there in Augusta and it's going to feel like you're in a swamp because it's so hot and humid. Mm. <laughs> but April is the sweet spot, man. Did they end up having the Masters late last year? Yeah, they had it in November. Right. Oh, wow. I yeah. would say, I mean, I think we should at least publicly say that if invited to play Augusta, we would we would play. Yeah. I w- yeah, I would. I absolutely would. Assuming we didn't have any other commitments, you know, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd play nine holes. <laughs> <laughs> With a cart, though. With a cart, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I'll bet you, do they, do they have carts there? You, have, you probably have to have a caddy and walk, right? Yeah, you probably do have to have a caddy. And they have those, uh, you know, all the caddies in the tournament wear those white jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. They're like the, the full body jumpsuits with the names on them and... I think in the Masters, they used to have to use Augusta's caddies. They couldn't bring their own, right? Do they still do that? I'm not sure, but that would probably be, yeah, I don't know. Because back in the day, you know, the way that caddies would know courses, there was like types of information that you you had to have somebody who knew the lay of the land so well that, that would know where to miss it, know where to hit it long, know where to hit it short places you can't miss it you know and only a caddy is going to be able to know that Mm -hmm. yeah well hey dudes i had a thought that uh doesn't pertain to golf unfortunately um that i wanted to throw out and just see your thoughts on it i I feel like it's a question that we have talked around about and maybe asked this question in a couple of different ways but I came to a conclusion on what the difference between uh, grace and magic is. Hmm. And I guess part of why I asked this question is um, it seems like in confession or when I'm preaching that I always get to some line where you talk about the, where I'm talking about the effectiveness of, of God's work and reality. And I, and I have to make this caveat like, it's, it's not magic and so it's you know it, it's not like some sort of an instantaneous um you know you just say a spell and then it works um 
And yet we believe that grace really is effective, that it's invisible and that it really does change reality. Um, so I, I think I've come to some sort of a conclusion on that. I wanted to throw it out and see what you guys thought. All right. Got it. Um, okay. So I think the big difference between grace and magic is that grace needs time. Grace or grace uses time. And magic is something that just, it, it's like instantaneous. It's something that, that, that takes no development, no unfolding, no progress, but that grace is something that, um, well, like all of the images from scripture, uh, begins small like a seed and, and unfolds and, and grows so that it bears fruit in, in the long run. I think part of the frustration with the sacraments, you know, people come in, they're like, I keep going to confession and I know that grace is real and I know that I'm receiving the Eucharist and, and yet I keep doing the same stuff or I keep falling in the same ways and I'm not getting better. And I, I think a lot of that is just this, we have, we don't like time. We want things to happen right now. And when it comes to the life of grace, you know, even with Jesus, his salvation, it, it took him 33 years to live, to preach, to die and, and to rise. So even in his own life, there's this unfolding of grace. Uh, even within the church, there's this unfolding of, of the body of Christ over 2000 years, um, which means that there's times for blemishes, there's times for falls, and yet grace still comes and invades those things and, and changes them. But in magic, you just say a word and poof, like everything is instantaneously fixed. Um, I think that the big difference between those two is that grace uses time because time is also being transformed. So what are y'all's thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, I think that's an aspect of it. Um, yeah, I maybe say more. I, I don't know that that's the like the core distinction, the essential difference. Yeah. Um, just because I like, I'm already thinking of. Okay, then how do you um, engage the miraculous, which we would say is grace, like an instant healing or something like that? Which I I think there's you know been before um and to say well that's not magic um Mm, yeah so those are initial thoughts i like it because i do think there's there's a great reflection in it for sure like i think it's i think it's a like what would i say i think it's a practical way to engage it um because that's the typical experience of it well, what if you made for that, um, for what you just said, what if you made the distinction similar to like what we talk about with the sacraments where um, God uses the sacraments, but he's not bound by them. So in the same way, it's like, well, the Lord, he can do a miracle, which is, is supernatural grace that comes in and immediately has an effect. Um, which still takes time that that's still, and you know, it takes place within time. Um, but 
it's not the unfolding of it. Like, like, you know, quote unquote, normal grace experiences are, but it's, it's the supernatural. It's the exception kind of a deal. To me, I remember uh, Father Scott Hebden said his definition of grace was the collaboration of divine and human freedom, um, which is kind of a vague definition, but the more I think about it, the more I like it because it recognizes that God <clears throat> is free and we, we have to cooperate with his grace, but um, neither, neither freedom is abolished in grace even though it is a union of wills like grace allows you to do god's will whether that's in an instantaneous miraculous healing where his will is accomplished through say a prayer or the slow work of sanctifying grace where you're growing in virtue and and faith and hope and love um <clears throat> I, to me it seems like the core distinction between grace and magic is whereas magic historically has been like whether in forms of idolatry or alchemy or even even in our own like kind of magical technology world where we we dominate manipulate nature for our ends um, sometimes with nefarious results is that we figure out some technique where we can get the gods or nature um, to do our will to bend to our will to enslave like if you chop this chicken's head off and jump around a tree stump with one foot 10 times then the gods have to give you rain you know it's like a a domination kind of relationship where i have figured out a way to manipulate you to my will mm -hmm. versus grace which is i surrender my will to god's will and he will give me things because god is loving and generous and his will for me is ultimately my own good and salvation but why it why i think it takes time is because my uh willfulness makes it hard for me to surrender you know and i will continue in self-destructive paths because i can't stop grasping you know so grace is the opposite of magic in that way and that you even with sometimes magically appearing results of like a healing, for instance, you, sort of the prerequisite, like in the gospels, your faith has saved you. It's, it's by letting go even of like, think of the centurion. Oh, you don't even have to come over. You just, your word will be enough. But that attitude of obedience, reverence and surrender to the one who's give, dispensing the grace. You're saying like, you are, you are free to do as you please and I will accept your decision. You know, if you will it, I can be made clean. That to me is a, the, the difference is the attitude of the, of the one doing it um, or asking for it. Yeah, I like that. I actually like that better than the time thing. Uh, can I... Um, I do too, and either could probably expand on it, but it, just what I heard in there as well as what I was thinking of, there's just something that, um, yeah, like grace cannot be manipulated, period, where I think magic can in the understanding of it. Um, I don't know, and I, I guess, 
and this is probably coming from I recommended to um, like one of the missionaries and a couple of the um, Newman students um, the book The End of the Affair by Graham Greene, mm-hmm. and it was just it's cool like hearing them um, read it and enjoy it and everything. But I always think of a book like that. Like grace is so strange to really try to get at what it is. Um, and it's like grace is stranger than magic. It's, it's less like, yeah, I guess there, there's just, you cannot manipulate it. You can't control it. You have to cooperate with it. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. I don't have, that's not very formulated at all. It was just kind of what was going through, um, my head there. I think another distinction is that, um, grace builds on or presupposes nature. Um, I mean, you, you still have the difficulty of supernatural healings or say the resurrection, you know, which seems to be beyond human nature to rise from the dead, but it's still commensurate with human nature somehow. Like we see in the risen Christ, we recognize our humanity, even though it's glorified and on another level. It's not like he's become a different thing, you know, like a Godzilla. He's just a perfect, a perfected human being. Um, so whereas magic, I, I think, uh, says no to nature and says, no, that's not good enough. We want, we want something else, you know, um, grace is a, there's, there's a reverence for nature uh, and God who created it and saying like, we we offer this back to you that's kind of one way to understand christ's sacrifices he he just makes a total oblation of human nature and and receives it utterly um with all its weakness and limitation back to the father and we from the beginning we're like oh if i eat this fruit i'll be like god you know i don't want to be human um so like even divinization is Christification and being like Christ is being perfectly human, not, not trying to go beyond nature. Um, so this is like a Schmemann idea that it, it's not really, grace is not really like moving beyond nature to supernature, even though we will actually paradoxically become like God, uh, by assenting to grace, but it's by descending into the, into the depths of our poverty and our weakness as human beings, limited creatures that we receive this power to be saints, you know? Um, so I think that's another distinction is that, uh, it's perfectly, it perfectly maps to our, our human nature, what God wants to give us, not like, oh no, I don't like being, I don't like that nature is this way. So I want to say a spell so that it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like the distinction, um, where I think magic, if I can just kind of build on that magic is trying to, yeah, use and manipulate make God and his grace another thing in nature. And it's not, you know, that that's like the, that barren idea that God's just one thing among many that a lot of 
uh, atheists. That's kind of how we perceptualize of God, just this really big being. And magic, I think, may, may be the ritualistic product of that type of a thinking. Where it's like, okay, well, if that's true, then I can do a certain formula or find a certain technique or ritual that bends the gods, that bends God and his power to me. And that's just never the case. Um you know, and I think that's why conversations around the sacraments are so interesting because we do say that there is a uh, an ex opere operatus effect that it it happens no matter what, um, and so you begin to you know, but but that's how God has deigned it. That's how God has created it. So that it it does toe the line at a, at no, I don't know about toe the line is the right way to say it. Um, yeah, God's grace is mysterious, but it's but it's different. Um, Do you remember that um, scene from? I want to say it's Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where um, they go to that island where everyone's invisible. You know what I'm talking about in Narnia, and th- there's been some spell that was cast where like these these creatures became invisible, and Lucy finds this old spell book and the spell to make invisible things visible she reads it and because she has the innocence of a child like she's she's the one that has the ability to say it sincerely and all of a sudden these things become visible again including aslan who's standing right behind her and she's all self-conscious because she's like why would you why would you make yourself subject to me i don't remember how she phrases it but like why would you do what i tell you to do like become visible and he says something like do you not think that i would obey my own laws or something like that and of course it made me think of the mass where it does seem like god has submitted to us to my will like if i want to say mass at noon or 5 p.m doesn't matter he'll show up at the time i choose you know or our parish council chooses what time mass is going to be or whatever. Um, Like why, why would he make himself subject to our arbitrary will? And yet there's a deeper uh, mystery there, which is that God's providence is governed by all things. And he has even made himself in Christ subject to that as it, as it cooperates with human wills, you know? So it's not like, so if I think that the Eucharist is is something that I control simply because I've been given the gift of the ability to to consecrate it, there's some deeper mystery there, which is why maybe it, it feels like a confusion that we need to make a distinction because it's so like it's so like what the Egyptian magicians were doing, turning their sticks into snakes and stuff. It's like, look at me, I have this this power to amaze you, but there's also a, a serenity and a, a humility to the sacraments in that one of the ways I've distinguished it for people is that magic makes it look like something's happening, but nothing actually is, you know, in the terms of like illusions. Um, I make it look like the quarter disappeared, but it didn't actually, it's just in my other hand. Illusions, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, grace the sacraments is the opposite where it looks like nothing's happening, but those with the eyes of faith see that 
um, everything is different, you know, like water pouring over a baby's head doesn't look like much, but it has changed this person at the level of their being, you know? So it's not like I, I did it. And then all of a sudden their clothes magically changed from brown to white or whatever. Uh, the things, the visible things that we use in the sacraments to reveal the mystery are natural things that we, in our humanity, consecrate to God. You know, this candle, this white garment, all that stuff is, is just meant to like reveal to us the hidden invisible mystery of what's really going on. So it's not flashy, like, and that's why even the, the, I don't know what the reason is for this, but it's always been mysterious to me why Jesus, every time he does a miracle, basically, he's like, don't tell anybody, you know, cause he doesn't want to just be this wonder worker. The whole point of his coming is to, to draw out faith so that we can follow him, surrender our lives to him and be saved. And sometimes miracles do that, but uh, it's very easy to feel like, oh man, if I just have Jesus, I'll never go hungry again because he can multiply loaves um, mm -hmm. and instrumentalize Christ for the tricks, you know? Yeah. So you got anything, Mike? Nope. Nope. Uh, just what... Just are you guys pissed. preaching on the? <laughs> I've been thinking about this idea for like two weeks, and you ding dongs just totally <laughs> eradicated my time theory. <laughs> <laughs> Jerks. What about the gospel? Are you guys preaching on the gospel this weekend? You got your homilies done? Oh man! Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, maybe this will help me figure out what I want to say. Maybe this will help me figure out what I want to say. <laughs> It's so weird, and I don't, yeah, it's not, I'm not saying this is exactly what we're talking about, but I'll just read the first part of it here. It's from like Luke, what is it, 24. It says, the two disciples recounted what had taken place on the way and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were still speaking about this, he stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Then he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, do questions arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. That's like so strange to even try to picture, man. Like all of a sudden they're recounting how he was made known in the breaking of the bread. Then he's there. And then he tells them, like, why are you troubled and why do questions arise in your hearts? You're like, are you serious, man? Like, you just huh, appear like that after you rise from the dead? And why do questions arise in my heart? But, like, how do you, how do you, how do you read that and preach on it that doesn't make it appear like magic? Hmm. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, do you have any thoughts, Roberto? No, I mean, it just it's just stories of besides just like telling stories of how 
grace works hmm. or like has worked in, in how I have seen, I really don't know. And I've talked about this before openly of like, I believe and I, you know, certainly, you know, in, a, in an imperfect way, but have staked my life on the resurrection being real. But I do not know how to picture the resurrection. I don't know how to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in, inevitably, you know, I go back to when Father John Lodge would probably love this, but <laughs> I, I go back to picturing something like a resuscitation of the Lord and and but the resurrection is something completely different. It's it's not taking back death; it's going beyond it. And I, the first thing that came to mind is: uh, Do y'all remember the character Tom Bombadil from the first Lord of the Rings, from the Fellowship of the Rings? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's this. They didn't put him in the movie. They didn't put him. Peter Jackson didn't put him in the movie, but he's just this kind of unimaginably joyful song filled like wild man that's not contained by nature but he's just he's tough to imagine you know and if you know i remember listening to a a little talk that like if you tried to put him on screen he would just look like an absurd character like there's no way to depict him well outside of the story itself and 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 there's something like that going on with the resurrection where it's uh like this is so bizarre and different which is maybe an indicator that you're we're looking at it the right way because if you can just say that the resurrection was this or that you know i i feel like it's one of those if you understand it you you don't have it because it's so totally different. Um, but that it's this ongoing revelation of like the, the infinite power of God's love breaking into creation. And, and how do you, how do you depict that? That that's, how do you even, how do you even talk about it? That's probably why there's four different accounts that are all different, um, similar, but different, you know, cause that that experience is so otherworldly, but it's taking place in our world. You're like, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit too. This was another Hebden thing, actually. Um, and I don't say this. Yeah, I, I just never really thought about the point. But um, he was saying is how you you can't. It, it's like impossible to show Jesus in film you know fully which is true and at the same time i would say like i love the chosen i just started season two which is like super cool so all for that but he cited the example of the old the the original movie ben-hur have you guys seen that oh yeah yeah which is um i've only seen it once and it is cool but they're like the scenes that they depict jesus it's only it's never like his face it's always it's always the the person it's showing the person that is encountering Jesus hmm. and like their reaction and the effect of him which man like what an artistic expression 
of it, which is really cool. But it doesn't help me in the point of like, gosh, what would this have been like to <laughs> yeah. to see this? And yet, like, there. I mean, I would just again like stake my life on I've actually experienced the resurrection in in my life and um yeah many any thoughts I guess I don't know yeah well I think that Ben Hur example is actually really it was in, it's in the direction that I was thinking which is that um, I remember when we went to the Mount of the Transfiguration in Galilee, I, I struggled with this because I was like, I want to, I don't want to just like go to this mountain and think about the transfiguration. I want to see what those guys saw, you know, the white garments and the voice from heaven and that epiphany that those three men had. I want to have that same experience. Um, but it's not really possible. It's sort of like magic, like trying to, I remember, you know, when I was on a, the 30 day retreat in Omaha, I tried to recreate this experience of the Eucharist that I'd had on an eight day, two years prior by like sitting in the same seat at the same time of day during adoration. And I was like, okay, God, give me that same thing. I want to feel that way again. And of course it doesn't work because it had to be this surprising, uh, what did, I think it was the place we find ourselves. He says the resurrection is always a gift. It's always a surprise and it's always uniquely tailored to your heart, you know, which is why all the resurrection accounts, they are really strange in that like most of the events of Jesus's life and his preaching, there are some slight differences in the narratives between the gospels, but they're all pretty much the same story. But the resurrection, it's like Mary Magdalene has this thing and uh, Peter has this thing and the disciples on the way to Emmaus, they're, they're all like, who knows when they're happening or what, you know, how long that took or, um, there's something so uniquely tailored to each person's experience. Thomas, for instance, is that's a huge one, you know, like Jesus comes directly to him and says, put your fingers in my side. And, uh, like we all encounter Christ um, I mean, now in the age of the last times, when we have the Holy Spirit, there's there's a difference in the way we encounter Christ in the age of the church than the apostles did prior to Pentecost. You know, there was a manifestation of God's glory in the resurrection that those privileged few saw, but they are not more, therefore, intimately in communion with Christ than we are. In fact, the opposite. We we have more access to the risen Christ than than they did in that moment because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I, th I think of like the confession I made when I was 16 that was so pivotal to my, my life. It was like, I didn't know it at the time, but that was me meeting Jesus and he was alive. And, and I knew it was him because of how it addressed my own heart in such a deeply personal way. And it set me free from sin. Like I knew it intellectually, but I also experienced it subjectively uh, at the level of the heart. So that's where I like the Ben Hur thing, where he, 
you don't know it's Jesus because like, oh, look at, we filmed him. We captured him on camera. Like he, the risen Christ cannot be captured. He's, he's totally free from that, cannot be controlled. He, he is the one in charge of revealing himself and he decides when it is time and in what way. And we recognize that it's him because it's like, we didn't expect it. It's a gift and a surprise, but it is totally, totally tailored to me. Like he said, every, he told me everything I've ever done, you know, hmm. like, oh yeah, that, that's him. I didn't even know you exist. Some people don't even know who Jesus is and they have an experience and they're like, okay, whoever this is, he's, he's the one I build my life around. Um, I know there's this thing in Corbone I was teaching yesterday to the seminarians, uh, the liturgy or a wellspring of worship book. Um, let's see if I can find it. This, this is also something I was thinking of. He's talking about like moralism. Like some, sometimes we reduce the gospel to uh, like a moral code. Like the thing about Jesus is what he told us to do. And um, he says like the whole, the whole age of like the old Testament was trying to conform ourselves to some law external to ourselves. So whether it's the 10 commandments or the many laws and restrictions of, of Leviticus, it was like, you have this ideal, which is, um, what, what God wants from us. And then you, you have your, your heart, which is this vital principle that chooses, but the two are in, the two are not one thing. You know, I have to make my heart, which wants to do this thing, do that instead. And he says, um, the realism of the liturgy, both celebrated and lived, consists in making the ideal become a vital principle. The Holy Spirit and the human heart then become a source of life. And we are confronted again with the mystery of the synergy, the unparalleled Christian novelty. Um, I mean, back to the Samaritan woman, he says, if you'd asked me for the water that I give, it would become in you a wellspring welling up to eternal life. That the, somehow like when you have Jesus, the wellspring is in you. Your heart becomes the law and vice versa. You know what I mean? The logos is the one, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what makes it, I feel like so hard to imagine Christ outside of me showing me his wounds and eating baked fish is that like, that's not the mode of his presence anymore. He is revealed in, in the church, his body. And so like you go anoint a dying person and you see Jesus, the risen Jesus too, even though he's still suffering because of this, this tension that we live in of the last times. Um, But I don't know. It's also, you don't have to be a theologian to, to know it. I, I feel like sometimes these intellectual things make it like we overthink it and the child, like see him, like that's Jesus. I recognize his voice or you see a picture of like an icon. You're like, that's what he looks like. I've never seen a photo of Jesus, obviously, but I know that that surfer dude, Jesus, that's not him. That's like a painting of a guy. But like, <laughs> you know, or the sheep hear my voice. Whoever hears the truth, hears me kind of thing. I think it is related to the magic question in a, in a way. I mean, that, that was your initial question. How is that not magic? Um, 
because it, we would never have thought of it. You know, it's not some thing, some technique that we invented. It's like something that has been revealed to us and we can either reject it or accept it. But when you do accept it, then you're like, okay, yeah, that was right. That is him. And then 20 years down the road, you're like having a desolation moment. You're like, was that even real? You know, did the apostles ever think like, no, maybe we were all hallucinating when they were in a moment of spiritual desolation. Cause that's maybe happened I was to just me. Hungry. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That was a heady, heady couple of days there, guys. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I wonder, Connor. I agree. I agree with everything that that you said, and I I think it's totally true. Um, and and also, um, you know, actually trying to imagine what the objective reality of of what the resurrection would have looked like. You know, not not just the the personal, individual instances of the resurrection of Jesus being manifest and revealed in in our own lives, which is one hundred percent real and and true and good. Um, it's connected to the resurrection moment, but they're also it's also, um, I guess, similar but different. Um, and so, I don't even know. I don't even know how to go about um, trying to pray. No, that's not true. I, I guess I know how to, to try and pray with the resurrection, but how do you imagine that without making it look like a superhero movie? I don't know. Like the actual account that you read is so miraculous and, and filled with the supernatural. It's like, how do you, yeah, how do you make that not look like magic? Uh, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. Dude, this, it does take me back in a way to, um, you know, I mean, so many stories that I would call like Providence and grace certainly, but maybe the pinnacle of which was, um, yeah, just the kind of the formation of getting to know, to know Baron and really like falling in love with the church because of it. Because I, I remember him talking about, you know, maybe he was talking about like just the word transubstantiation one day in class. And he had the, you know, it's like that cool line of like, um, like God's revelation cracked language itself to where we had to make up a word to even try to describe it. And I don't know, that's just, this is like way more life-giving um, to me to think of the church as the mystical body in this way of like, no, there's like a participation in the life. And then even theology is just trying to describe this like lion man that can't be contained. And it's not trying to give the world like this perfect bow wrapped systematic, like, hey, here's all the answers. But it's like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like you, there's no way you could ever depict the person of Jesus Christ and and like show him. No, like that's impossible. And you can kind of see then we're like, all right, well, let's get rid of all the images of him then because we can't see him. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can definitely have icons of him and art of him, you know, Hmm. and like cool representations of him. You're like, wait, what? Like we can't. How can we do that? And you're like, it's just it's like trying to grasp, not grasp. It's trying to like put words 
on the revelation that's real but man it's it's strange and it it forces you to realize it's like man i am not in control of this guy yeah that's why i I preached the other day on uh nicodemus how he's like wait a minute how do you get back in your mother's womb and get born again you know like his he, he reveals such a limited understanding of what jesus is talking about uh, that it reminded me of when atheists will critique the Bible by saying like, you Christians believe in talking snakes and you just like have to laugh because you think this story of the garden of Eden, that's what you got out of it is like, <laughs> it's about a talking snake. You know, it, it, re- it reveals such a, a lack of, of diving into the mystery of what's actually being said there. Yeah. Um, which then you think, well, that's me with everything, you know, no, none of us. That's the whole tradition of the apophatic way is that like everything you say about God, you could equally say the opposite because our language is so distant from the reality. And yet the cataphatic way, the theological, like the analogy of being, you can say things, you can draw pictures of him and say like, that is a, that is a good representation of, of God or the tr- the icon of the trinity for instance you're like that's is that what they look like um <laughs> but there's still there's still a truth to both you know that god has god's utterly mystery and yet he's okay. revealed himself in a way that we can we can talk about him yeah they get they get at an aspect of it but right. they certainly don't encompass it yeah and i think that's part of the beauty of authentic theology and really beautiful art is they don't try to say everything um but it it speaks because you can really only speak of one thing at a time in in our limited language and limited depictions of 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 jesus and it's like that's okay you know i i think of the samaritan woman at the well also with uh she, she just didn't even have she had to get outside of her own mind in order to understand what christ was talking about you know it's like if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And she's like, what do you mean? You didn't have a bucket. How yeah, could right. you get water? Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, all right. That's, <laughs> let's uh, pull it back a little bit. <laughs> you, could, you could just do a whole study on the Gospels of like when people thought it was a metaphor and didn't get it or people that thought he was talking literally and didn't get it. Yeah, right. It's at the same time. Yeah, I, man, that's so strange to try to think about. Of, It's just like, you, you should be like absolutely on, on your knees, like weeping in awe because of this um, like divinity in front of you. And then at the same time, you want to have the reaction of like, just telling Jesus, like, what are you talking about, bro? You know, you don't have a jug to get me water. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah, hey, maybe, maybe I'll end with this because I know, well, I got to get going. I got to go hear confessions. Um, but I was talking with a lady the other day, and she was just, it was so beautiful. But she was just talking about her desire to grow in holiness. And she was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what the Lord's asking me to do. Like, I just feel called to love in these little ways around the house. And 
and as she was saying it, and I, I was kind of asking her about it, like, well, tell me, it sounds like you have a deep desire for these little things that she just is like moved to tears by it. And, and I kind of stopped her and I said, like, what's, what's that? What's going on? Like, why are you, <laughs> why are you crying? And she's like, I don't even know. I just am filled with God's love and I can't put my finger on it, but I know that he wants me to love in these little ways. And so it was like simultaneously so simple. You know, she's talking about like loving her children, doing homework. It's so normal. And yet, yeah, there's clearly something more that is welling up within her that she couldn't even put her finger on. Like we didn't know what was happening. You're like, that's the surprising encounter with God's presence in your, in your heart, like in the simple, totally nothingness of doing dishes every day. And yet she's moved to tears because she wants to love so powerfully. And you're like, I don't know what that is, uh, but it's a mystery, you know, but, and it was very beautiful. I'll tell you, it was very beautiful. Speaking of being on my knees and weeping in awe, I need to go get ready for holy water, holy hour, which is what I usually do during that time. (laughs) Have you talked to your spiritual director about that? (laughs) Actually, I have spiritual direction today. I will. Nice, dude. Good talk, guys. Good question, Miguel. Well, y'all kind of dismantled it. I'm still holding to the time thing, so forget you guys. (laughs) You're determined. Yeah, good question, but... Why don't you terrible first intellectual A game? That's jeez, dude. Like, Last was, time I proposed anything on this was, stupid that was, podcast, that was a little simple. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I'm holding to it. We're going down with this ship, all right? All right, fellas. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.